1: Welcome everybody to this Tuesday edition of Everyday Connection. I'm Rico Shields. And yes, once again, here to my left, Jane Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jean?
2: Hey, I'm better.
1: This is excellent. I want you to know Definitely that better. everybody has missed you and you know, has sent wishes through the chat vine and chat room that, you know, oh, that's that's bad. Some of them said things worse than it's bad, but particularly when you missed the second show, they were like, you know, that sucks. It's like, yeah, well, it's okay. She'll be better.
2: Yeah, it was a really, um, really strange illness, I got to say. Started with a sore throat, and you think that that's a minor thing. A cold should be a minor thing. A cold is usually a minor thing, but... uh, by the third day, I was really wishing I could just not stick around anymore. I just wanted to go away.
3: Yeah, I could. I
2: was, Yo. I, the,
3: the messages
1: <laughs> I was, Messages, I was, text messages that I was getting from you, I was thinking, she wants to go crawl under a rock somewhere. This is bad.
2: I really, <laughs> I really did. I really did. Um, but I think, you know, like by the fourth day, I was starting to feel better. And on the fifth day, in the middle of the night, the fever finally broke. Um, And, you know, it was... It started with a sore throat, but it was it was freaking me out because I was dizzy, I was seeing double, I was it it was it, it was an adventure in and of itself, just that little cold. Um, but you know, it is what it is, and I'm better now. Still got a little bit of a headache left over, but I'm pretty sure if you're running a high fever for four days, that might have some kind of
1: well, you could have a little headache effect left effect on your
2: system for a little while.
1: And yeah, uh, so we had a solar flare, so. Today, so oh,
2: that, that, that could headache. be your
1: headache. So you never know. Okay,
2: very good. Yeah, I usually do get a headache when we have a solar flare. So that would that would explain it. Very good. Good. I'm not sick. Yeah.
1: All right.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't wish that cold on anybody. I really wouldn't. And, and you certainly uh, wouldn't
1: want to do an instant replay of
2: it. <laughs> no, no. I'm so I'm so glad it's over. And I'm sorry I missed the shows. I'm sure they were absolutely spectacular. Um, we had fun. Phenomenal. Yeah that I didn't get to play with, but it is what it is. And I spent a few days in bed and I'm back. Hello.
1: <laughs> well, you know, Thursday night show was, um, Mercedes Kirkle And we were talking about her, uh, book, uh, Mary Magdalene beckons. Yes. And, and yes. I told her, I said, it's a, right before the show when chatting for a second, I said, it's a real shame that she had to miss tonight. Cause it's one of her favorite subjects. And, and then it, you know George Nestor back in my head. Well, yeah, that's why she had to miss tonight because now she can just sit back and listen. I was like, yeah, which okay. I, I
2: certainly plan to do when I get caught up. Um, I I don't know. All all you people out there that have homes when when the mom is sick for four days. Wow, there's a lot of catching up
1: today. <laughs> oh boy,
2: <laughs> I'm telling you, um, I love this country home, but it is. It doesn't take care of itself. Um, I wish it did. I I would love for somebody to invent, you know, a, a self-cleaning environment, but <laughs> and not yet, I suppose. So there it is. And uh, when once I get some downtime, I will definitely listen to the show. And I'm sure it, it was phenomenal. But I, I'm absolutely sure that tonight's show is also going to be phenomenal because we have with us a guest who has uh, had some intimate experiences with illness.
1: Yes, indeed, um, we do.
2: On a very personal level. So, um I'm, I'm interested to hear his story and uh excited from what I'm reading um to to discuss his
3: experience? I
2: don't know how to put his no, not his experience, his his ability to find light in the darkness.
3: I ah. think is
2: is how I would put that. Um and you know that. Oh, that thing I, we I talk about almost talk. every show. Yeah, I love talking to people who can who can turn that around and you know find some rhyme and reason to the seeming chaos that is our existence here on earth. So um, I think it's going to be a great show. What a great show to come back to after yeah. being sick for a few. Yeah.
3: Yeah,
1: we've got some amazing folks that drop by, but we have Thank with you. us we have with us this evening. Uh, and we'll we'll do the full meal deal on the on the name and uh and then we'll be casual as usual but uh we have with us this evening dr coy cross the second even how are you coy?
4: I'm doing really well, Rick thank you
1: excellent so
2: we'll, we'll jump right into it, my dear and um get our listeners going on a little information. Who the hell are you, and what do
4: you do? Well, I'm Coy Cross. Right now, I'm retired, a retired historian, and what I'm doing these days more than anything is talking to folks on the radio and doing some workshops in public speaking about the book. All right, and uh,
1: that's, let's
2: that's tell people a little about the book Yeah, and, uh, and what prompted what, you what to write it. What
1: kind of what kind of work, because you were, um, I thought at one point when I was doing my research, I was like, I'll just pop over to search and I'll find this book, and you have other books. They're just... just I, uh,
4: I went back to school uh Went back to grad school at 48 uh, to see if I could get a Ph.D. in history. I wasn't sure if I could or not because i, I got done all my undergrad work and through the master's, just bits and pieces as I moved around here and there. And went back at 48, got a Ph.D. in diplomatic history, and went to work for the Air Force as an Air Force historian and spent uh, 18 years doing that. And uh, wrote my historically, my passion is really a 19th century history. So I wrote Air Force history in the day and history uh, about the 19th century uh, in the evenings and weekends. So I, I have pu- published other things, but uh, this this book is entirely different from anything that I've done before.
1: That's that's where I was going was that it was uh... It was an interesting dichotomy to me, and 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 but I certainly understand. Tell, tell us, as Jean said, tell us where did this dance come from?
4: Uh, the, well, I, I pronounce it the dance, and I'll explain why in just a okay. second. Well. Um, I've always been a, a person who's trying to understand, and as a kid, I was a person who's trying to be good and understand what it really meant to to be good, and I was raised. Uh, in fundamentalist, I was I was born in southeastern Kentucky and raised in very fundamentalist churches, and, and so but I was a kid that had a hard time just accepting okay this is the way things are and this is what you're supposed supposed to do, and especially when they didn't seem to make much sense to me. But I, I kept I kept trying to understand. <laughs> One of the things that that I include in the book, the the dance or the dance. Uh, was the story I can remember uh as a as a teenager I was probably about fifteen years old and one of the one of the tenets of the church I was going through was uh, do not get involved in worldly things and so I kept trying to understand what worldly things were because <laughs> it was difficult for me and I can remember at about fifteen taking a really sweet girlfriend. To see the movie Lady and the Tramp. At the local theater. And sitting in the theater. Feeling so guilty. Because there's this voice inside my head. That's saying you know. Worldly thing. Worldly thing. And so my dilemma was. The movie was Lady and the Tramp. And if I would had a television at the time. I could have watched the movie at home. On my television. And it would not have been a worldly thing. But in the theater itself. Uh, because sometimes churches use the theater if if there was some big event, for example, for Easter, when there would be an overflow crowd, the church would hold services in the local theater. So the theater itself wasn't a worldly thing, but my going to the theater with my girlfriend to to see Lady and the Tramp somehow converted into a worldly thing. So I kept trying to understand all this, and, and finally, uh, just. I felt so guilty by the time I was about 16 or 17, I was feeling so guilty that I left the church for a long time and, and just tried to dismiss everything about that from my life. And, and I, I, I tell folks, I I spent a number of years as an antagonistic agnostic. If you tried to talk to me anything about uh, spirituality or church or God or any of that, uh, I had a sharp tongue and I could come back with a zinger. But... <laughs> When I reached about 40, there was something – it really felt something was missing from my life. And so I started searching. And I originally started searching back in the, the churches that I was familiar with and not finding, not finding uh, suitable answers. Uh, for example, what, I, I went to, to this one church and I thought, oh, Jesus, this is really good. It seemed to have a positive message. Uh, They have a a, a really nice, dynamic crowd. And one Sunday morning, the minister's lesson was, what I heard was, no matter what you do, things are going to get worse and worse. And so suddenly I'm back to the teenager questioning. So I I talked to one of the the elders in the church, and I says, you know, I probably misheard, but this is what I heard. And I says, "You, you know, no matter what we do, things will get worse and worse. He says, that's true. I said, okay, let me give you an example. I happen to be the most dynamic uh, speaker in the history of the world, and I go out and convert every living human being on the face of the earth to Christianity. Will things still get worse and worse? And he said, yes. And I thought, I'm out of here. I, sorry, I don't believe that. No, and so I kept looking.
2: How can anybody live like that? Oh my goodness oh, my
4: fear fear is
2: powerful
4: oh because
2: i know i I just
3: many,
4: i
2: wow, I motiv- have my wow moments, sir
4: <laughs> that I mean fear motivates many people and it's it's powerful, and people use it all the time. It doesn't work on me, so I kept looking and eventually came to uh a New Thought uh, movement called Unity. And it had a much more positive message. And I've been uh, going to to the local uh, church for, oh, I I don't know, probably uh, maybe a couple of years. And one time this uh, guest minister came over, and her name was Carol Ruth Knox. And Carol Ruth had a message that just absolutely resonated to the core of my being, and I knew This woman was speaking the truth. And it was really interesting. There was probably 125 people in the congregation. And have you ever had an experience where where you're in a a group and and maybe in the audience or maybe you're you're speaking yourself and and you look and you see somebody and it's like, oh, there you are. Total stranger, but immediately there's this connection. Yes. Carol Ruth and I immediately had that connection. And I, I, I come, I find life absolutely fascinating, and and I've I come to see when things that I often think are coincidences, in retrospect I look back, and it's almost like these things are lined up to to make sure that I I tend to, to cause them or call them uh, like divine course corrections, not anything really dramatic enough to notice but just enough to nudge you a little bit this way and a little bit this way and, and move you in a different direction. Uh, so Carol came over and spoke, and within about six months, I bought a business over in the, the East Bay, over uh, in Walnut Creek, California, which is in the East Bay from San Francisco. And uh, I moved over, and that was Carol Ruth's church, uh, the local church. Matter of fact, bought a house probably no more than three-quarters of a mile uh, from the church. And so immediately we became just really dear, dear friends. And and so she she had the ability to take really complex ideas and present them in a way that her her congregation could understand. Uh, She had the ability to see God in everyday life. And so Sunday morning she'd come in and say, you know, this week I was walking my dogs down by the river and such and such and such happened. And she she would reveal the spiritual lesson on this. Uh one of her most profound lessons she was she had a, a houseboat and there's a, a Delta area uh, in the East Bay, and she had a houseboat out out in the Delta and she was preparing for a Sunday talk and a bug came flying in and landed on her finger. And out of that came one of the most profound lessons of being uh, first observing the bug on her finger and realizing that it, whether she flicked the bug off or left it, it didn't matter. Uh, it turned into to the title of the lesson, Is There an Absolute Right or Wrong? And, and it, it's this wonderful, non-dualistic message about life is what it is, and we tend to label things as good or bad, right or wrong. So this one really had a most profound effect on my life and who I was. And so I I was there, part of her congregation. I ended up being on her church board. She and I became dear friends. We'd go to dinner together. We'd go to baseball together. uh, Or sometimes just hang out and talk together. And so while I was there, uh, through a a series of events, um, I I, uh, was newly married when I moved over there. Um, My new bride, uh, after a year of marriage, was involved in a serious car accident. And um, a few months, well, no, probably two or three years after that. Uh, it was when I decided I, I would go back to grad school. So I went back to grad school at UC Santa Barbara. And while I was down there, uh, my friend Carol Ruth was murdered. And it, it was a bizarre set of circumstances I won't go into. Uh, but she'd had such a profound effect on my life that I knew someday I wanted to write about her lessons and write write about her and, and help get her message out to other people. But I went to work for the Air Force went through grad school, graduated, um, and went to work for the Air Force as a historian. And so I, I kind of put the, the Carol Ruth Knox project on the back burner because it felt like too too much of a split, too much of a dichotomy to, to be writing about these powerful spiritual message, messages at night while during the day I'm writing about Air Force operations. <laughs> so... I I kind of put it on the back burner, but I gathered material, and I probably gathered mm, at least 500 of her Sunday lessons and everything that I could find that she had written. And so 2007, I retired uh, from the Air Force as the historian and uh, was ready to to start on the Carol Ruth Knox project. And so I, I immersed myself in her messages uh, her writings and started writing and I was writing as I found myself writing as the historian from a very detached position and I started reading why I, I was writing and it bored me to tell you the truth <laughs> so oh. about two years into the into my writing project for, for Carol Ruth Knox, uh, my wife who was also named Carol was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and so uh, after catching my breath and uh, dealing with that, then uh, what I decided to do. Okay, if Car- Carol Ruth Knox's lessons and teachings had any value and validity, they would help me to deal with my wife's cancer. And so what the book became, I it shifted uh, and became something totally different. It became applying the lessons that I had that learned uh, to uh, being with my wife, being the caregiver with my wife uh, as she was uh, going through and confronting her cancer. So that's a very long answer, uh, but that's what the book is about, and that's how I came to write it.
1: Now that's a beautiful answer. And uh and very well put.
4: Thank you. Absolutely. As as far as the title, uh Carol Ruth Knox was from New England and had this wonderful kind of Boston accent. And she saw life as uh, a divine. Except when Carol uh spoke, it, it became a dance with the divine.
2: Right, the dance. The dance. I get it now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. That totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. Um Wow. So where do we start? Uh <laughs> it's, it's such a there's so much to discuss really. Um I, I can understand your I can understand your hesitation to to write um write a spiritual work of any kind while working for working for the air force um it it must have seemed such a contradiction in spirit at okay. the time but i'm i'm curious now that you've cuz this is it's an important um topic that we discuss often is how to integrate integrate spirituality into everyday life if if you were to go back now knowing what you know having gone through this journey with your wife and having had such an intimate relationship with with Carol's teachings now that you've had the time to do that um can you see the value in in still being able to have both lives
4: well the the the, the program isn't wasn't for me I mean, the teachings I still carried in my heart uh, while I was doing the Air Force history. The, the problem was in the writing because I tend to write in my head. Uh, much of the time, if I'm working on a project, uh, a lot of times, uh, I, you, you know, if, if I'm with someone, uh, they'll wonder what's going on because I'm really quiet and what's happening is I'm writing in my head. Uh, so that when I, when I sit down, uh, I, I have figured out to to a great extent what I'm gonna say, how I'm gonna say it and what I'm gonna write. Not word for word, but at least the, the pattern uh in the organization. Organization for me is is the key to writing. Being with with in the Air Force History Program, I'm writing there and I'm writing this other project. And that, that doesn't work for me that to have two really uh, very uh, different uh, writing projects projects going on in my head at the same time. So it wasn't living living the lessons even while I was working in the Air Force. Uh, but it, it was the, the difficulty with writing and trying to write the, these uh, two diff- very different subjects at the same time.
2: Okay, perfect. I understand then. I was just I was just curious because I, for a long time, and I, I see that it's changing now, um, just in the conversations that we have with our guests. But for a long time, there seemed to be this division between our spiritual understanding and the spiritual journey and our everyday existence. Like there was this wall, and and you know, you're traveling down two roads, and never the twain shall meet. It was it was very very strange, and it's it's been that way for a very long time. I mean, I I know a lot of a lot of authors and spiritual workers who kept their spiritual work separate from their everyday everyday lives.
4: Well, um, the, the, for, the, for lo- oh, excuse me. The, the thing, Gene, um, having immersed myself, re-immersed myself in in, in teachings, i I knew immediately uh, what my course of action had to be. And and going back to to what I shared earlier, I I moved over to Walnut Creek, uh, newly married, a year into the marriage. uh, My wife had a serious uh, car accident and suffered some uh, severe brain damage. And so I was running a business. We had four children living at home uh, and taking care of of uh, my wife she spent about four months in the hospital and and came home uh and and there there were there was uh, some some substantial brain damage uh so within a a a year i was so burned out uh and just so depressed that i seriously considered suicide and the only thing that, that really kept me from it Two two things. One was my mother and my children. And two, uh, and this may sound strange to to some people, but the idea of suicide was very freeing to me uh, because in the sense that I thought, okay, I can can get through today, but if things get much worse, I have an escape route. There's something I can do. So that was my experience. And, And this was about 30 years ago. That was my experience then, uh, and immediately, I, I. When you read the book, uh, one of the dearest people in my life is my friend Greg, and we were. Caroline went in. She got. Uh, she got diagnosed on Wednesday. We went in on Thursday to see the surgeons. The surgery her surgery was scheduled for the following Tuesday, and Friday was. Carol was a marriage and family therapist. She had, in private practice, and Friday, uh, she, had to, she had to close down her practice and call clients and, and reschedule and refer them to different people and, and so on. While she was doing that, I met with Greg, and, and we, we were sitting in the coffee shop, and I said, Greg, this time I have to do it differently. I knew I could not follow the same path that I'd followed 30 years earlier. That didn't work. Uh, and one of the things that, that I realized, another teacher that uh, uh, I have discovered in probably the past, say four years, is a uh, Buddhist teacher Adyashanti. And one of his teachings uh, is simply, I let everything be as it is. And that sounds very simple, but it's very profound. And I realized in sitting and talking with Greg that I have to accept this. I have to let everything be as it is. And I have to operate from the point, okay, Cheryl has been diagnosed with uh, stage three, level C ovarian cancer. Uh, And it's serious. And I know uh, no matter what I can do, uh, she may die from it. Uh, But, I can't fix it. I can't make it go away. I can't heal her. What can I really do? First of all, coming from this place of acceptance freed me up, freed my mind up enough so that I didn't get caught up in, oh, my, why is this happening to me? What did I do to God to make this happen to me? And this getting spun around, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me, why me, why me, why me? I found why is the most useless question for me. Uh, so by coming to this place of acceptance, letting everything be as it is, what I really did was clear my mind enough so that I could say, okay, what can I do? Well, uh, she's getting the best medical care that there, there is in this area. Uh, I Certainly I'm retired. Uh, I can be there to to take care of her, I, I can love her, support her, I can cook for her, I can, I can take her to it I can do all the practical things, but the greatest thing that I can do is I can be consciously present with her, I will be consciously present with her throughout this whole process, and my promise to her was, sweetheart, I will hold your hand throughout, and I did, so, really, the book is about my practical experience based on in in one of the other parts of of, of the conversation I had with, with with Greg was "I know that God is in this too, no matter how it goes, and my job is to do the very best I can be consciously present with her." Take care of her the best i can, and and this again sounds harsh, but I honestly, I told him and how it turns out is none of my business. I will do my part to the very best that I can, but not based on how I expect it or even how it does turn out so from that perspective um, from the very beginning, and i i, I Again, going back to this uh, thought of coincidences, which, as a matter of fact, I don't believe in coincidences uh but it goes back to the this that same line of thought I had been inundating myself in cha's teachings I'd been reading other um spiritual books uh, a friend had had recommended ayate uh and the idea that I let everything be as it is became my mantra. Uh, from the time that she was diagnosed, throughout her surgery, throughout uh, the chemo uh, that followed, um, when the when the cancer came back, throughout uh, she tried another round of chemo, uh, and the cancer came back, and she passed this past May Uh, and uh, honestly by following those guidelines of of acceptance, letting everything be as it is, realizing God is in the middle of this too and and part of the realization of God being in it realizing there's some tremendous spiritual lessons in this experience for me and for her by doing that Honestly, I felt like I came through that. uh, uh tried to pretty damn well. I, I came through it whole, and I did not experience the the, the kind of depression and in guilt and shame uh, that I had uh, when I'd gone through that with my pre gone through my previous wife's illness, and, and feeling like after being there a year later. You know, I'm going to have to leave if I'm going to survive. Uh, this experience was very different. It was a very spiritual experience throughout.
3: So
2: you were you were given this great gift of a lifetime, really, of preparation for this moment, um, and you you embrace that. And now you've decided to take that, and and at what point during this journey, I'm curious, did you decide to take everything that you were experiencing, was it right at the beginning of the journey, or was it partway through that you realized this this journey in and of itself as a story could actually be a gift for others who are going to have to, you know, who've chosen the path that's going to take them down through these experiences themselves?
4: very early on, uh, because as I said, I'd been in the dating with my friend Carol Ruth's teachings and it seemed just like the most natural thing in the world. Okay, if these have any value, they will help me now. And, and so as as I started um, as I started working on that, then I realized, okay, uh, this is really what the book is about. It's not Going back and trying to do a biography or a recount uh, from a detached place. And so the book totally shifted. And it became my story of applying these lessons uh, to this very difficult situation. And frankly, it was uh, the most difficult situation that I've confronted. Uh, Carol and I had been together for uh we've been together for 27 years, been married for uh, hmm, Valentine's day would have been our our, uh, 25th anniversary. Uh, But very early on, I realized, okay, if it has value, it will help now. And uh, she and I talked and and, okay, the book is going to shift. This is, this is what the book is really going to be about. And if,
2: if anyone reads that was, that was actually sorry to interrupt but it, um i'm i'm hoping to open up an, a different avenue of discussion um sure. that was actually going to be my next question due to your long life together and obviously you had a very um a very open sharing supportive relationship with your wife how involved was she in the writing of the book and how and I Sorry if some of this may be difficult to talk about because I'm sure the wounds are still fairly fresh. Um but how involved was she and how did she feel and how how if they were able to did the did the lessons that you were writing about help her
4: cope? Well, she she and I had met at Carol's church. So she was very familiar, and she she dearly loved Carol Ruth too. Um, and uh, we talked throughout. She was very supportive. Uh, she read everything that I wrote. Uh, she did uh, the uh, the forward and the afterword uh, in the book. Uh, so and she felt, you know. She considered herself to be my muse on, on the project, so it, it was really, even though I was writing it, it was really our project that that uh, that I was working on. So she, she was she was not involved in the writing, but she certainly read it, uh, had some suggestions, uh, and was a full participant. And it helped her too. It, it helped her. To reach a place of acceptance. Uh, the, the, the cancer came back. Uh, she had the surgery, went into chemo, the chemo was almost immediately effective, uh, and uh she soon went into remission. And we knew her chances of living for five years uh was less than 20%. Uh, But both of us, uh, I created a prayer chain around the world. uh, Kept people with emails going, updates telling them what was happening. Uh, So there were people around the world praying uh, for some miraculous healing, some new development to come along. And so uh, within about uh, probably three months of chemo, her numbers were back down well, well within the normal range. And so we, she got better. Um, her her diagnosis and surgery, her diagnosis was uh, in late May of 2009. Surgery was uh, three or four days later, five days later. Uh, and by early 2010 uh she was gradually starting to feel better and get better and by uh by the spring of uh 2011 uh she was really starting to to feel herself again and, and thinking about uh, maybe going back and and reopening her practice and we really started uh to believe that Uh, She could be part of the, I think it's something like 17, 18%. And uh, she went in for just a routine uh, GYN check and had lab work before and when the lab results came back, uh, the cancer was back. And so uh, a year after that, uh, she had passed. So. 2010 so the I was actively writing the book and tried to to the book if you follow along uh is written in, in present time as it goes along uh and that really what was was what's what was happening uh when, so by early 2010 she was in remission and the book was done and, and there will be a follow-up book, because I think people need to know, you can do a, a, a wonderful job. You can do everything, the best that you know how you can apply every spiritual lesson that you know. You can, every faith, we have people from every faith uh that you could probably imagine. Well, that, that's probably an exaggeration. But all the major faith uh, denominations, people around the world were praying for her. And you can do all of that, and it may not turn out the way you want. One of the one of the great things I think my friend Carol Ruth Knox said, you know, we have this idea if we do everything right that God will let us be in charge for a while. And it doesn't work that way. So, yeah, Carol, Carol fully participated um, all the way through, read the book. And uh, I, I I feel uh, I feel I, I, owe the people who read the book uh, a follow-up to take them all the way through and let them know, okay, you can do your very best, and it may not turn out the way you want it to.
2: Well, I, I think the lesson in that is that, I mean, we've all heard it a million times. It's not about the destination, but I think that there's a word that, needs to be added to that very well-known phrase. They always say it's about the journey, but I really believe that it's about the grace with which you take that journey.
4: I I think Um, you're exactly right. And and for me and for Carol, from the time that uh, she got the second diagnosis, even though uh, she went back and did chemo again, we both knew it was only... Uh, to try to extend her time a little bit. Uh, because when it came back, we knew our time together was going to be short. And we both accepted that. And you're right. We could continue from that position of acceptance. Uh, we could continue on the journey with grace.
1: And you could keep living right up until passion.
4: Yes. And I can keep living now.
1: Yes, yes. But it it really strikes me. So many people, really from early ages, are so worried about dying, they're not living.
4: Yes. You, you know, one of the things with, with that, Rick, that throughout this experience, why I've really come to understand is life has no meaning without death. If we knew right now, that we were going to live forever. How long are you going to work, Rick? <laughs> are you going to be working when you're 535 years old? <laughs> it, it, it's like what really makes life precious is, is our knowing that as far as our physical life goes, there's a definite beginning and an ending for everybody and even though we, we try to ignore this we know this uh to be true for <laughs> however, however many years you, you want to count but uh without without the knowledge of death uh life would have no meaning and it it's it's part of a miracle it really is
2: that's such a profound statement um mm-hmm. Yeah. And on that note, we should take a quick break, and then when we get back, I think we could discuss a little more.
3: Yeah,
1: let everybody soak that one in a bit, because that is quite. The- yeah,
2: I, that's something that I think that we should let our listeners take a minute to think about. There's a lot of truth in it. Um, so if you do us the honor of a song, Rick, and then we could.
3: Yeah, I was although just finding to an appropriate
2: see... song to an appropriate song to follow that statement is...
1: <laughs> wow. that, thats kind of what I was doing. I was looking up and down the list, thinking, "Hmm, who am I going to torture by throwing on just now?" Mm. Uh, and I, well, hmm. Well, we got Carrie Kendall. We could do it too, Jordan. And we could always just play uh, uh, hang music. I, I you know, we play Earth Prayer for sure. But I was thinking maybe we'd do that on the second break. But
2: if we get a Here's second a, break,
1: well, yeah, if we get a second
2: break, how about we wing out Earth Prayer? Um,
1: and then we'll do the other one
2: we'll,
1: if because uh, I was thinking about we'll it. We'll
2: play, play it. There. Play it for the carols.
1: Yeah, um, we don't that. There you go. Now you're on to something. All right, folks. Yeah. So this is our dear friend Ina V with her song Earth Prayer. And I'll get I've got links to uh uh Dr. Cross's websites already up in the chat room. I'll put one up for Ina V because she's got a great uh project going on around uh this very song, the Earth Prayer Project. Uh we'll be back in about five minutes. Stay with us folks. <coughs> Back everybody. That was our friend Ina V with Earth Prayer. You can find her at www.enavie.com
2: Now what I find interesting about the connection between that song and and the good doctor story is that the song really speaks of gratitude. Um in fact the whole energetic of the song is is about gratitude and acceptance of an appreciation of this this thing that we so often call the now moment uh, having gone through this this intensely personal emotional journey um how do you find I mean, all the, the talks that you do and and all of that aside, in, in those quiet moments, how do you find this has affected you, the core of you, the core of who you are?
4: Um, profoundly. One of, one of the things, I I've spent much of my life trying to understand uh what it all means. What what really is God? And I, I laughed and told a friend if if God could be found if I if I could reach that understanding through books uh and reach a, a high spiritual level from reading, I I would be able to walk on water by now. Uh and I'm the the older I get Uh, the more I understand there's a tremendous mystery uh, that I will never know. And I I really think it's unknowable. Uh, So I've come much more to a place of uh, staying in the moment, but not always, but just staying aware. And and I've come to see life as, as being my wonderful teacher Uh, More than more than anything I've ever read or anyone I've ever listened to, if I pay attention to my life, uh, there daily, constantly, there are wonderful lessons and gifts. And if I stop trying to control my life, if I simply accept life as it is, again going back to Adyashanti, letting everything be as it is, my life is so much simpler, so much easier. And uh, honestly, filled with so many more gifts. So, this sounds, I I, I know it sounds simplistic, but it's really not. For me, it's profound. And one one of the other parts of Carol Ruth's teachings and the workshops that, that I do, one of the important parts is this idea of non duality. I really believe that God is everywhere present, God is all power. And God is all knowledge. So God knows what's going on. And, and God, at least the God that I believe in, doesn't come down and get terribly personally involved in my daily life. I, I don't say, geez, you, you know, God don't make it rain today and suddenly the skies are blue. What uh, I've come more to a place of, uh, if it rains, whether I want it to, to or not, it's going to rain. So I let that be as it is, and instead of getting caught up in saying, geez, uh, it's a bad day because it's raining and I want to have a picnic, uh, I simply say, you know, okay, it's raining. Well, okay, uh, if we're going to have a picnic, what shall we do? Uh, shall we bundle up and put on rain gear and go out and have a picnic in the rain, or shall we find a place? You know, it's like simply accepting life as as it is. in this." Makes my life much easier. In this idea of non-duality of labeling things. One of the things I realized we we tend to start labeling. Okay, have you ever heard? You're, you're a mom, Jean. <laughs> ha, yes. Have you ever have you ever heard a, another mom talk about good babies and bad babies? We all have. Uh, I. Not well, you, that's not
2: you, not you I, but I still, wait. Other parents
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> but yes,
2: yes, I have, and i i can't I can't wrap my head around that concept um whenever I hear anybody I hear it more actually about teenagers than i than I've ever heard about okay. about younger children because I have a teenager um and, I, I, and whenever i, I hear, Speak about a bad teenager. I it it kind of makes me cringe inside because I understand that at the core of every being, there's this beautiful, amazing light that is, for me, an extension of that God energy. And regardless of a person's actions, and I know it's it's hard to wrap your head around that concept, but regardless of a person's actions, I know that at the core of their being, that light is there and that we all come from the same place, and that it's just really a matter of trying to understand why that person is making those choices. And sometimes even it's about making sure the person knows that they have the ability to make those choices, because a lot of times I find when you get to children or to teenagers that are acting out and doing things that are not necessarily... Good for them or good for others. It's usually because they're not aware of the power that they have within to to make the choices that will benefit them. So it it makes me cringe. I don't understand the, the bad child concept. I don't think there's anything. I don't there's such a thing
4: as a bad child. It's, what what we tend to do, if something is pleasant, it's good. If we like it. It's good. Uh, if it helps us, if it makes us feel good, it's good. If it's inconvenient, it's bad. If if we don't like it, if we don't understand it, it's bad. Uh, if it hurts, it's bad. And even to to going back to to babies, if if the baby cries a lot, it's not a good baby. Uh, if the, if the baby it doesn't cause trouble, it lets mom sleep. Uh, it, it doesn't get colic uh it's a good baby and uh i've I've heard this my whole life and so we start with labeling things as either good or bad, uh including babies or the weather or our job or our spouse or what's on television or the day for goodness sakes, or the weather or whatever and what this tends to to do if we label something as bad uh for example. I'm not saying Carol's cancer was a good thing. I'm saying it was a thing. But by labeling something as bad, what we tend to do is see everything around that thing or experience as bad. And we will overlook and just discard anything that might be good in there. Or uh, on the other hand, uh, if we label something as good, it's like, uh, I, one of the examples I, I use in the workshop, I love lemon meringue pie. And my, my my daughter makes just, I mean, the world's best as far as I'm concerned. And it's probably, oh, it right, ends up with, with the meringue on top, probably about eight inches and just the right, the right combination of that little sour and sweet, and a, a, a crust to die for, I love it. Few years back, I was diagnosed as being type 2 diabetic. Okay, so I don't eat the lemon meringue pie anymore. The lemon meringue pie did not suddenly become bad. It's still the same absolutely great lemon meringue pie, except my choice is, okay, I can eat the lemon meringue pie, and get myself daily shots of insulin, or I can simply avoid the lemon meringue pie. But that's kind of what we do to situations and and applying that on a much larger scale to Carol's cancer. Okay, one of the things that we came, even though she was going through chemo, we were doing everything that we could uh, to try to help her survive uh, and recover from this, Uh, We came to a place of acceptance, and what that did for us was allow us to deepen a love that was already very deep and have some of the most profound, sweet, loving experiences that we had ever had together. And being able to be there with her and do that uh, through this really difficult time was one of the most precious gifts that either, either of us have ever been given. And whether it was you know, uh chemo will cause neuropathy and in in sharp pains in uh fingers and toes. And just being able to sit down uh in the evening and give her a foot massage. Uh and it, it was it was one of those really really precious moments. Uh, and I was able to do that uh, because we had simply accepted uh, this. This is what we're confronting. This is what we're dealing with. Uh, her, her, and her feet are hurting. So uh, this, this is something I can do. I can't make the cancer go away, but but I can rub her feet when they hurt. So it, it's. Uh, Going back to this idea of letting everything be as, as it is to acceptance, what, what it will do is allow you to experience these really precious moments. Experience joy within the pain. Uh, the joy of the joy of going down to Jamba Juice <laughs> and and getting something that will taste really good. Uh, the joy of just sitting. And being together, the the, the joy of sitting and watching uh, more and more, uh, Carol was not able to get around very much. And so she she would watch television. (laughs) Some of the things, I'm I'm really not a television person. uh, But as a way of connecting with her and being with her and having something to share and talk about with her, sit and watch Dancing with the Stars, sit and watch The Bachelor. (laughs) I I had a really hard time with the batching. But uh, some of the places they would go, beautiful places, so we could talk about the places. <laughs> but being able to be together and, and really be there, present with her in those moments, was a tremendous gift. And one, in all honesty, uh, we would probably have not experienced if she had not have had cancer and knowing that her time was limited.
1: Yes, many people spend that entire time bitter and angry and, like you said, you you miss all of those precious moments.
4: Exactly. And uh, frankly, when, when I went through this experience with my previous wife who was in the accident, I used a lot of alcohol to numb myself out. I did not want to feel what I was feeling, and my commitment uh, almost immediately again, uh, as I recall, it was with the, the conversation I was having with my friend Greg the day after we had seen the surgeons, uh, was I am going to be consciously present in this, and I am going to experience the whole thing. There's a lesson to be gotten here. I want to get it this time. And not, not have to do this again. So, yeah, uh, I was there I, I, and absolutely I refused think, to numb myself out.
2: I would think that, um, and this is just from personal experience dealing with chronic pain, that journey to, to accept what was going on Um and to accept the journey would probably lessen her pain and her suffering.
4: Yeah, be, being able to be there with her, uh, she told me repeatedly, "This—that's the this greatest gift you could give me. That's the best thing you could you could do for me." And, and along in the process, um, one of the things that I would share with other caregivers is—is is to realize. One that your energy is limited, to take really good care of yourself, and to sort out the things that are important, most important for you to do, and if necessary, ask for help or even hire somebody to do the other things. so I, I realized there was nobody who could really be with Carol the way that I could. There was nobody coming from from this this position of acceptance uh, and being with consciously present with her. There was nobody else who could really do that. And there, there were other people, that there were family and, and friends who could come sit with her. Uh, but really, this, this, this was my job. Uh, and it came to a point at first trying to do cooking, cleaning, grocery shopping, taking her all her appointments, all of that. Uh, taking to the appointments always did. Always was there with her, sit in with her. Um, but uh, house cleaning, <laughs> and it, it, it was kind of a point of contention. I, I told her, I said, you, you know, I I'm going to hire a house housekeeper to come in and clean. And, and uh, being uh, being a proud woman, she, she was reluctant to have another woman come in and clean her house. And she said, Oh, we can do that. And, and uh, I came to the point. I says, Okay, sweetheart. This is not about you. This is about me. I can't do everything. I can hire somebody to do that, so so that I can have more time to be present with you. She said, "Oh, okay." So we did. We we hired a house housekeeper uh, to clean the house. And so, my advice to, to other caregivers is is realize, okay, sit down and have a really Honest conversation with yourself in with the person you're with And come to a place of Realization of what is yours To do and what is Beyond you what, uh, what you can maybe ask someone Else or hire someone else to do And for goodness sakes You cannot be responsible For healing whoever you're with That's not your power You cannot do that You can love and be with <laughs> them but Ultimately Healing them
2: is not within your power. I think that's a really important point um, that people need to try and come to terms with, is that you really can't take care of anybody unless you can first take care of yourself. And when it comes to this kind of situation, you have to know your limits and what's going to push you beyond, you know, your your limits of insurance. And I think that when you're in this kind of situation and you need to give so much on an emotional level, all those other physical side jobs can be done by somebody else. And there's no there's nothing wrong with asking for help. And I think and I that think that's something that people have a lot of difficulty with, but that they really need to examine that. They need to take the time to examine why they have such a hard time asking for help. And it come to a place where you find that it's okay in your heart to ask others for help and assistance. Because everybody at one time or another needs help.
4: I will give you a really blunt answer. If you think you can do everything, you're very egotistical. You're coming from your ego if you think you can do all the jobs and still do an adequate job of being with whomever you're taking care of or whoever you're giving care to. Uh, and I'm speaking from personal experience. When I think back 30 years ago, running a business, four kids in the house, and, and, and taking care of, uh, of a, a sick wife full time. That's so foolish and so egotistical to think that I was that superhuman that could do that. And my experience being with, with, with Carol was a lot based on what I had learned from 30 years ago of, of realizing that I couldn't do that. One of the, one of the things that, that we'll hear over and over is this is a marathon and not a sprint. And we want to tend to do such a good job that we will treat it as a sprint and not realize this could go on for a long time. One of the analogies that came to mind was like, okay, if in Carol's treatment, in her recovery, in her care, it's like she has – she's almost like a plumber or an electrician with a toolkit. And in this toolkit, the most important tool in that toolkit is me. Now, a craftsman takes really good care of his tools. And as the most important tool in my wife's toolkit, I need to take really good care of me. If I don't, I'm not going to be able to be there. I'm not going to take, be able to take really good care of her. So I, I was purposely, consciously present with taking care of myself, too, with eating, trying to get a, as much sleep as I could, getting to the gym and exercising to, to stay healthy physically, um, taking time uh, to, to spend time with, again, my friend Greg. Uh, with I, I've been involved with the, a really wonderful men's group, uh, being with some other men, uh, and asking people, okay, Monday night, I, I the men's group meets, uh, can you, if if Carol needs it, and and all the time she certainly did not, uh, but if, if she needed help, would you be available to come and sit with her on Monday night? And people, honestly, one of the greatest gifts that you can give another person is letting them help you when you need it. And people were thrilled knowing, oh, this is something I can do. Monday night, I can set aside and go spend three hours with Carol. I'll have a chance to visit with her one-on-one, uh, which, you, you know, it was was really a privilege from that perspective. And that's, that's a gift that I can get. And people were happy to do that. And it meant a lot to me, and it meant a lot to Carol. So you're right. We were hesitant to ask for help, but in all honesty, uh, my advice to people was, if if you're not asking for help, uh, you're being egotistical and self-centered and selfish. Be willing to give other people the gift of letting them help you. And I think every one of us have had the experience of being able to give some meaningful help to someone and walking away feeling really good about that. So oh, no. I am probably irritated to people with that, but the, I sometimes I, I well I tend to be rather direct. I, and I, we, I think we like, like, we, we like direct.
1: We love direct.
4: So <laughs> I'll, I'll get off my soapbox about that, but that that is something I really feel strongly about. And I look around and Actually.
3: People, I
2: would prefer it if you don't get off your you're so about okay. it. Because okay. my parents, we're,
3: we're, my parents
2: uh, um they pass away at the end part of natural
1: causes. Just, just just a moment. I, I, we, we've got a really bad echo. Uh and you may not be able to hear it, Coy, But uh when we speak it's echoing pretty badly. Could you turn your volume down just a, just a hair? I'm afraid it's gonna I'm afraid it's gonna it's driving our Listeners, crazy. Is that better? Yeah, well, let let's see. see. That's wonderful.
4: Okay.
2: I mean, when my when my parents passed away, I um, I refused to ask for help. I I really wanted to take that on myself, and I almost destroyed my life doing that. So. I would appreciate you staying on that soapbox as long as possible because I think it's something people need to understand, whether they be the caregiver or the person who's going through the illness. It's okay. In fact, it's necessary
4: to ask for help. One of the things I would would add, add to that, Jean, One of the phenomena that we're seeing now as a result of people living longer is more and more men becoming caregivers. And and this is not a role that, that, uh, well, for lack of a better term, it's not the role that we've been bred to fulfill. This is the woman's role. And women for generations, for centuries, for millennia have been the caregivers, and men have been out the man's job is to provide and protect and i believe that's right embedded in our dna uh but we're finding ourselves as we live longer uh with diseases like cancer uh and so on uh that men are are more and more forced not forced men are more and more put into this position of being caregivers And men are less inclined to ask for help. And for goodness sakes, I I hope the men out there listening realize it's not a show of weakness. As a matter of fact, uh, if you have the courage to ask someone else for help, from my perspective, it shows a lot more courage to ask for help than it does to sit back and need it and, and slowly in essence, destroy yourself and reduce your effectiveness as a caregiver. That, again, from my perspective, is a coward's way out. Man up, ask for the ask for help. Get some people in to give you a hand. And if you need to hire somebody uh, to to help you, hire them to help you. For goodness' sakes, it, get all the help if you're if you're Attacking a solution. If you're attacking a problem, you want a solution. You want the best around you that you can get. And hospitals have have resources. They have names. In our community, there's a group of women who will come in and uh, if you're a cancer patient, they'll come in and clean your house for free. Uh, there are people who will. If if you're a cancer patient, there there are people who will volunteer to give you rides back and forth to, to, to the infusion center or back and forth to doctor's appointments. For goodness sakes, use the help that is out there. Don't destroy yourself. All of us know of cases where caregivers have died before the person that they were taking care of did. Don't do that to yourself. That's foolishness. Get the help that you need. Stand up, man up, say, have the courage to say, I can't do this by myself. I need some help. And there will be people who will be pleased to help you. I can assure you that's the truth. So I'm back on my soapbox.
3: Absolutely.
1: Well, and it's a, it is a benefit, I think, to it, it's, you know, you yeah. mentioned the, you been able to help someone and you come away with this feeling of, Joy and joy. satisfaction, and and it does that for the person that you've helped, and the person that needs the care. It it, it, it multiplies the blessings.
4: It, it does indeed. It does indeed. And some of this stuff I talk about in the book, the dance, uh, and and some of it will will be in the next book uh, because it, it it was a learning experience all the way through. And, and honestly, I continue. Uh, I continue to to reflect and and realize what I've learned from the whole experience. As I said earlier, um, I find my life most interesting and I continue uh, staying open uh, to see what life presents me. And it continues to present gifts daily. I assure you that's the truth. And I'm 75 years old. (laughs) <laughs> and one, one of the gifts my wife gave me when I, when I retired five years ago it was a bracelet, and I believe uh, I believe it was Michelangelo's quote. It's in Italian. In translated, it says, "I'm still learning," and supposedly he had said that I think at 87 years old. And, and I feel that is so true for me. I'm still learning, uh, and I'm finding life uh, absolutely fascinating.
1: a a stimulating and uh, and joyful
4: dance. There there is a lot of joy in my life right now. And I feel like I have led a really blessed life. And honestly, I came to see the real privilege that I was given to have a woman that I'd that I adored and who dearly loved me, trusts me so much that she would put her life in my hands. Can't think of a greater gift than that and a greater privilege uh, than that to be able to accept that and serve her in that manner. One of the things that I've, uh, I've long envied, I, I envy poets and musicians, poets who could write uh, a poem or a musician who could write a song uh, for his woman. And I've come to realize uh, I was able to give my woman something much greater. I was able to be with her and hold her hand uh, all the way through her illness. And uh, I was not physically holding her hand the moment she stopped breathing, but I was in the room with her. And it had been holding in a few minutes uh, before that. So, what a tremendous privilege and a gift. All gifts, (laughs) all gifts don't come tied up in bows, and all gifts don't feel really good right at the moment. Uh, But in the big picture, wow, it is a gift and a privilege.
1: And I believe that that these lessons that you're uh, blessing the rest of us with your your view of are are key to seeing it that way, and therefore really having it be that way.
4: Uh, Rick, not, I, think, I, I think it's our choice. I, I really do. We, we we can you know the the old half-full, half-empty glass. Uh, I I think if we make a decision, first of all, uh, to accept something without labeling it either good or bad. I have this situation in my life. Uh, Okay, is there something I can do about it? Uh, Is there nothing I can do about it? If there's something, uh, what can I best do in this situation? Uh, We come to a place of acceptance. If if you uh, are a person who... A person of faith uh, Then uh, I would ask you to, to realize At least my perspective of God Is God is everywhere present God is omniscience Omnipotence And omnipresence God knows every everything God is all power God is everywhere present And even in the really hard times uh, God is in that too And what I've Again What I've learned for myself These really difficult situations are the ones that have the greatest gifts and have been my sources of greatest learning. If my life is floating along, I'm laying on the beach and and taking in the sun, I like it. And I would be there in content. Uh, I'd have to put on a lot of sunblock, but I'd be there content to stay in that forever. And, I would end up not knowing any more than I did when I started. So the difficult situations in this, I have to tell you, was the most difficult situation. uh, Three years in the aftermath, uh, the most difficult situation I've ever encountered, and the greatest blessings, blessings that I've ever gotten have come out of this. The greatest gifts of my life have come out of this most difficult situation. Read the the book. Go to the dance, T H E D H A N C E dot com. And uh, it's a book that was really written from my heart, from the experience that I was writing it as. I was going through it, and not from being the, the objective historian, something different from anything that I've written before. And uh, my weaknesses, my foibles, my lessons uh, are in there. Uh, and I, I truly believe it, if it, it will help people who are confronting uh, something similar. I really do. Uh, and if you go onto to the website too, uh there's uh there's a place if if you want to email me, uh there's an opportunity to do that. You can email it and I assure you I will respond. Uh, because I, I really it it's it's a it's a club that more and more of us uh, are joining. Of being caregivers, uh, and more and more men are joining, becoming caregivers for the people that we love. And I, I see it as a privilege. Uh, a lot of folks probably don't, uh, but I do. And not, not a privilege I want to uh, have again. I can assure you.
1: But, uh, <laughs> but a privilege uh, nonetheless.
4: But a privilege nonetheless.
1: Well, it's certainly been a privilege to have you spend some time with us this evening, sir.
4: Thank you. I, I, Again, I, I feel it's really a gift uh, to be able to share some of the things that I've learned over the past few years and hopefully to touch other people uh, and to, to help their experience be, be a little easier and help them be a little more gentle with themselves. This is hard stuff, not stuff that, that we're we've been trained to do. Uh, But we can do it and really do a magnificent job. And I'll I'll tell you, my experience has been, from the lessons that I I share with you in in the book, uh, my experience has been that on this side of it, I look back and feel like I did a damn good job. I I come through it without feeling guilty, feeling like there's something more that I should have done, something that I shouldn't have done. Uh, I feel like I brought my best self and And that's all I could possibly ask, and Carol felt the same way I was able to be that and be with her and do that, and she felt uh there's nothing more that she could have asked uh, that is exactly what she needed, so. Yeah. <laughs> you certainly you certainly handled
1: it with grace, sir, and it's been a it's been a gift. Uh, uh, what you just what you've shared with us tonight, and I certainly am going to pick up the book. It has given me uh, perhaps a little look. My uh, mother passed from Alzheimer's, and during the last uh, few years, when it really affected her, uh, she was blessed with quite a while that it, its effects were fairly minor. Um, but the last two years in particular, my father almost Almost, never, almost almost never left her side except to go to the gym, to go to, uh, his men's group, to go to a caregiver support group. Uh, and he asked for, and, and, and got the help that he needed. And, uh, but because of that was able to mostly be right there and, And at the end, you know, know, just hold her her hand. hand. But then, then you know that.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh,
4: Uh, Smart man, your father.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He always has been. And um, uh, I I try to remind him of it when I get the opportunity. We haven't been able to really speak as As openly about her uh, 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 time. uh, how he handled it, but I can see the grace from here. It's, do, it's, a do,
4: fight- do me a favor, uh, send him a copy of the book.
1: I, I tend to. And,
4: and you, you have my contact information. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I would be, I would be happy if you wanted to, to talk, uh, but because obviously, uh, my experience has helped me to be able to talk, uh, Openly about being with Carol and about Carol. Uh, e- even though, uh, at times and at times this evening, I was talking with tears in my eyes, uh, but it's really okay. Uh, I will always love her. Uh, she will always be a part of my life and my life will go on. Uh, there, w- there will, I love being married. I love being in relationship and there will probably, uh, Very likely will be uh, another woman in my life, even though I'm, you know, 75 years old. I I really like being in a relationship. And one of the things that frees me to do that is knowing, uh, Carol, what I did my very best, I gave my very best, I brought my very best self to be with Carol. And she recognized that. And, and, uh, she, uh, we, she and I talked about. Uh, afterwards and uh, we talked about I would probably have someone else in my life Uh, so life does go on Uh, and we have lessons we have learnings, we have gifts uh, that we can share with other people and help them help them through this experience and help them to realize that life goes on after this
1: Absolutely.
4: So please do do me a favor. Uh and, and send him a copy of the book. And if you he would like to contact me, give me my contact information. I'd love to talk with him.
1: I will I will certainly I will. do that.
4: That's, Thank you.
1: That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, well folks, what an amazing story. I advise all of you. Run out and get the book. Even if you haven't had this big of a crisis in your life, you might one day. Hope not, but not wishing but it on anyone. But
2: But uh, I think those things would help people just find a higher level of joy in their everyday existence, Without, even if they're not going through dramatic upheaval.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It applies to every moment. It's a lot of what we're about here with... That term, right. everyday connection, is when you make that connection it with your heart, with your spirit, with the God within you, the God without you, uh, it makes all the difference in the world. It seems a subtle change, but it makes all the difference in the world. And with that, well, we're, we've filled the, the, the our the time.
4: The the book is available to the dance, T H E D H A N C E dot com. It's available through Amazon. Uh, it's available available through Barnes and Noble?
1: You bet. you bet. We'll have links um to your website and uh and to Amazon, both on the archive that we'll have up uh, in the morning. Uh and again I oh, yeah. wanna thank you for uh the gift of your time and the gift of your uh, experience and wisdom, sir.
4: Thank you. Thank you. I I want to get, uh, thank you, to both of you.
3: It's, it's been a real pleasure.
4: Thank you, Jean.
1: All, right, All right, folks. I hope you guys can join us on Thursday. We may have Kim Keaton of uh, the Sanctuary of the Awakened Soul, uh, but we may not. She's I just got an email uh, that she's got some sore throat thing and isn't Mm -hmm. sure about that. So we'll see what we do on Thursday. Maybe we'll interview Jean about whether she made good friends with her virus or not. (laughs) So uh, join us Thursday. And uh, until then,
3: stay
2: connected.
1: Good night, everyone.
2: Bye-bye.
1: We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, visit our website at everydayconnection.me. And please like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Everyday Think you might miss an episode? No problem. Subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your everyday connection.